the marinade. There's no O in marinade. Let's try it one more time. Ready? One, <laughs> two, three. <laughs> the marinade. Marrow. Marrow. Marinade. Bone marinade. The marinade. The marinade. With Jason Earl. Welcome to The Marinade with Jason Earl, a free-flowing conversation about the creative process with creative people. This is episode 107, and our guest is John Medeski. Medeski is a legend, y'all. He broke down barriers as one-third of the revolutionary jazz trio Medeski, Martin, and Wood, bridged gaps as part of The Word with North Mississippi All-Stars and Robert Randolph, and has worked with luminaries in music across genre Medeski's latest project is called Saint Disruption. It's a collaboration with musician, scientist, and folk healer Jeff Firewalker Schmidt. Schmidt and Medeski first met in the Amazon jungle, where Medeski was seeking relief from debilitating cluster headaches, which we'll talk about during the conversation. Saint Disruption's debut album, Rose in the Oblivion, was released on April 8th, 2021, and their latest release is a single. It's a cover of John Legend's Imagine featuring... Warren Haynes on guitar. That just dropped last week. Y'all, I've been a fan of Medeski, Martin, and Wood for almost 20 years. So this is a dream opportunity. It is my great honor to bring you my conversation with John Medeski. Yeah, of course. Thank you. Yeah, this is a huge thrill for me. I, I was just, um, I recently re- like started getting back into CDs because I bought a car and it has an old like um, CD um, player. And this is my copy of Notes from the Underground. Modesky Martin cool. was Notes from the Underground from like yeah. 2004 uh, at the House of Blues in Orlando. So, so around that time I saw y'all. Wow. And um, I've been a fan for a long time. And so I, I'm really excited to both talk to you about that work and then the the stuff you're doing with saint disruption is so cool as well you know just like <clears throat> i got in the in the early 2000s i would have been in my early 20s and i was just very open to things at that time especially coming from i'm from ocala florida yeah. um that's where i grew up and so you know coming from that place where i was listening to like basically 90s country radio and maybe some yeah. pop stuff a little bit of hip-hop um but then when i got to college you know, people turned me on to widespread panic and they turned me on to fish and then they got me into jazz and Medeski Martin and Wood followed naturally from all of that. And it just blew my fucking mind and it continues to. And so I'm just so grateful for your time. And I just want to say thank you for all the wonderful music. Oh, thank you, man. That's what I do. It's my pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I'm interested in, um, I want to get to the Saint Disruption project eventually, but I, I kind of want, I'm interested in like how many amazing folks you've collaborated with. And a lot of the people we have on this show, um, I never set out to do this, but a lot of them are like Americana world, um, or at least Americana world adjacent. We've had Colonel Bruce Hampton on who I know you've worked with, you know, yeah, in the past. Um, you know, we've, uh, you know, you've worked with the Dickinsons from North Mississippi all-stars you've worked with all kinds of people and not just in that realm, but in, in all different walks of, of life and music. And I'm curious about creativity for you 
as you approach those different types of folks and different um, projects, if it's a different creative headspace you need to be in, or does John Modeski just kind of do John Modeski and you come at it from the same perspective? Well, I basically come at it from the same perspective, I guess. I mean, I've always, since I started playing music, I've always played a lot of different kinds of music. You know, I mm-hmm. studied classical piano as a kid, just that's what my parents had me doing. And I kind of immediately started because my, you know, I'd be like forced to play for guests when they came over and stuff. And I started exploring, you know, like the songs that they knew, my parents knew the popular songs of their era, you know, mm. and my parents are both, they both left the planet. And so, you know, they were, you know, definitely of the, that, you know, that era of the great songwriting, uh, you know, of popular music in you know, the forties, fifties, you know, and, and so I, you know, started learning those songs and playing them. And I guess through that, I discovered jazz, you know, because when I start, when I heard, you know, the first time I heard, I guess it was Oscar Peterson probably was one of the mm. first guys that flipped my lid. Mm. I realized that, wow, there's a whole other way to play these songs, you know, mm. and the more simple kind of popular way that was, you know, people were playing, like the stuff my folks were listening to. And then that just opened a whole world to me of, um, you know, first, I guess, you know, all the, all the, you know, that just went crazy listening to everything, you know, all jazz of all kinds. And, you know, so I'm, you know, we're talking like 11, I'm like 12 years old, 11, 12 years old, you're young. And I would, I didn't really have any um, concept that like this genre was that, or that, or, you know, that this music, I didn't have, I didn't have any boundaries or separations or lines between music. You know, I just loved music and I played whatever. And I play with anybody and play any kind of my friends played. We played, I played in marching band. I played in, you know, concert band. I played bassoon. I played in orchestra pits for theater shows. You know, I worked with a the theater company. I wrote two musicals when I was a kid, you know, for wow. this theater company. I just kind of just did music, you know, and I love music and, but getting introduced to jazz really, and I ended up having this incredible teacher at that, you know, early on this woman, Lee Shaw, who, you know, who's also left the planet, but she was actually a student of Oscars and was an incredible organizer of material and had an, just this never ending hunger to learn, even into her eighties, she was still just so open. And so she kind of just you know, imparted this sense of that with music you know and um so i kind of and you know and through jazz i started exploring improvisation you know Mm. and like when i was a kid i would listen to count basie and i would listen to cecil taylor and i would listen to albert eiler and i would listen to you know I would, Benny Goodman. I mean, I would listen to anything, you know, and I listened to classical music and I listened to all the stuff that was on the radio at the time. And I was just, you know, I was just into music and I would just play anything with anybody. And I think that that's just, cause I just think music is good. You know, it's not about like what style it is. It's like, there's so many different styles and I love, you know, it's like anything. It's like, you know, it's, it's who is it? What are they saying with the music? You know, it's not about the style for me. It's not like, Oh, I only like, you know, death metal or, you know, right. or whatever. It's like, it's really, it's for me, it's like, you know, what, what what's you know what am i feeling what what you know where's the music coming from and who when they're when they're making it so i think it really comes from that so when i play with different people i'm just i'm just you know approaching the music to see what you know i listen to what's going on and i think what you know what can i do that it will be of any use to this music (laughs) You know, yeah. and then I just, I try to find that, you know, and depending on the style of music, it requires different things, you know, I mean, I love, you know, I love playing solo piano in front of people where I'm, where I'm in charge of everything, but I also love being an accompanist for just about anybody, you know, and trying to do what's right for that music, whatever it is. So that's kind of been my approach. And and I've gotten to play with a lot of really great people and that, and diff- in different styles and different genres and so but that's always my approach, you know, whether I'm playing with, you know, um, you know, some musical master that I've never dreamed I'd play with, or if I'm playing with a five-year-old kid, uh, you know, I'm going to like get in there and just like, we're going to make music and try to create that vibration that music for me 
that music is about, you know? Wow. <clears throat> There's a lot of lessons in there. And I do want to talk a little bit about that because I, approaching it from that perspective is going to not only serve the music, but it's going to serve kind of you spiritually and whatever you need as well. And it's going to then, it's, it's going to just create a better product for everybody involved, a greater experience for everybody involved to think of it that way. It's amazing what you just said. Cause I, one of the things I was curious about is like your role as, as someone playing with on somebody else's project versus doing your own thing um, you know, how comfortable you are in sort of switching those roles and either being someone who's, who's just accompanying in some way, someone or adding to someone's project versus like, this is your whole thing, or this is your brainchild. It sounds like you're pretty comfortable switching those roles. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I love both, you know, I like both in some ways I'm more comfortable in the background, you mm -hmm. know, <laughs> you know, I mean, mm -hmm. I, I, maybe that wouldn't be obvious considering that, you know, I, and you know, I ended up collaborating with Billy and Chris and doing this trio for 30 years where, you know, we were, where was this, where we were, you know, all kind of the front men, you know, but mm. I love, I mean, I think maybe it's also like being a piano player and growing up when I did as a piano player, like you know, one of the main roles of a pianist is to accompany, mm -hmm. you know, is, 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 is to accompany whatever, a singer, uh, or even, you know, let's say, you know, in, you know, in classical music to be playing a cello sonata with someone, you know, playing, learning how to like, you know, do that or backing up, you know, a singer in, in a more like show Broadway show style thing. That's a whole other thing, but, you know, doing what's, you know, but I, I really love being an accompanist and, and then in jazz, you know, one of the things I've also always loved is like, you know, being in the rhythm section and then you have different soloists playing, you know, whoever mm -hmm. that is, somebody playing trumpet, someone playing guitar, and with these different personalities and then trying to find different ways of playing behind the different people that suits what they're doing, you know, mm. and inspires them and gives them what they need to, you know, maybe, you know, for us to collectively create something cool. In both this conversation and in things, that's great. Thank you. In both this conversation and in things I've read and listened to you say, it, it's clear that music from a very early age was like an enormous part, if not almost all consuming in your life. And I, I'm wondering if, was there a moment that you kind of went like, I, A, I'm good at this and B, like I, I, that this could, this is what my career is going to look like. No, I mean, I had no idea. I mean, my career ended up being completely different than whatever I, imagined it to be but i think i was always open to like just following it letting it you know <laughs> like uh -huh. i mean i never expected to play electric keyboards i never expected to play hammond organ i never expected you know anything you know first i thought i was going to play classical music and then i thought i was going to play jazz quote unquote whatever that is you know yeah. and you know all along the way i guess there were these there were these moments that kind of shifted things for me you know at each phase where i realized, Hey, well, this, like when I first moved to New York and I went to a jam session at the, you know, at this place and I sat down at the piano and the, you know, was in the rhythm section and all these horn players started coming up and just playing, you know, with the rhythm section. And like, it was just so disappointing what they were playing. I mean, they weren't listening mm. to anything that the rhythm section was doing. And they were just playing whatever they've been practicing in their practice rooms, you know, the, the, at home, their licks, their, you know, which were somebody else's licks to begin with. Right. So for me, it was like, wait a minute, this is what jazz has become in New York. You know, people trying to play bebop and try to sound like, you know, trying, you know, just sounding like all these guys that I've listened to and not sounding as good as them. I'm like, and then they're not even listening to me and worse, worse, they're not listening to the drummer which is the most important thing to be listening to. I was just like, you know, this is not what I want to do. So I ended up gravitating to the downtown New York scene, which was much more creative and much more interactive and much more truly improvisational, you know? And so I just kind of followed, I think, whatever the spirit of music that I loved, wherever I could find it, you know? So it wasn't really about like, oh, I didn't have a plan for a career that I'm going to do this or that. It just kind of evolved. And like, with Medeski, Martin, and Wood. Like we started off as a piano, notes from the underground, piano trio. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's what we did. And just sort of out of necessity, both from the music and 
wanting to tour and play where there's no good pianos anywhere, you know, trying to play these, you know, more, like trying not to play the jazz clubs, trying to play for, you know, people our age at that time and wanting to bring, you know, this, you know, spirit of improvisation of making music in the moment for the moment to people who, you know, weren't jaded or didn't already have an idea of what jazz was, you know, just, we, you know, we really wanted, and there were no pianos and I didn't like playing a digital piano. So hmm. I pulled out the organ because I love the hand, you know, I love the Hammond organ, but I didn't, you know, I didn't really, you know, just kind of everything kind of sort of evolved from the music, I guess, for lack of a better, and out of necessity and, you know, and, and out of wanting to play for people, you know, and, and doing whatever, like doing whatever, needed to be done to do that that's great i'm so curious about i'm glad you you talked about the 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 jazz scene in new york there at the time because i'm so interested in that time when you and billy and chris are are kind of starting out and for folks listening who um you know i think most people are gonna gonna know Modesky martin and wood who are listening to this but if they don't they definitely know chris wood and the wood brothers right like oliver's been a guest on the show and um uh, and, and folks listening more than likely are at the very least fans of Chris's work with the Wood Brothers. And I'm so interested in that time with Chris and Billy and like what the scene was like there. And like what were, did you have mentors that were because y'all were doing a different thing, right? Than necessarily you might have heard in most of the jazz clubs, I'm assuming. Or was that kind of what was happening similarly did you have sort of mentors at that time who were doing something similar you were learning from or were you all kind of just like really doing your own thing and making making it your own yeah no there was nobody doing what we were doing yeah. in, in, in new york at that time i mean i would say the parallel will be that there were there were and this is where, again where like the downtown scene was so attractive there were other musicians taking music that, that they loved and combining it in ways that hadn't been done before. Like in a more general way, there were a lot of people doing it. There were people, you know, combining, you know, punk rock and, you know, you know, whatever. I mean, mm. just, you know, taking, taking these sort of the, you know, the spirits of these music and doing their own thing with it. That was happening and has always been happening and hopefully will always be happening. But in terms of the, the, of the music, you know, the, the style or what we were doing, no one, there was no one really doing it. I mean, we kept trying to figure out what style we were. You know, I don't know if you remember, but back then there was this whole acid jazz movement and we're like, oh, maybe we're acid jazz. And I was like, no, we're not really that. I was like, we didn't, you know, we didn't really, and we didn't also didn't care. We were just playing our, you know, it's just our music. We just wanted to do what we did and which was just, you know, to play grooves that we grew up with and rhythms that we loved, you know, coming from dance music and different cultures that we loved. And then also improvising them with that, you know, in our own way, expressing ourselves, we were just, you know, really trying to find our, you know, who we were with music and, and put it out there. So no, there was no one else doing exactly that, you know, and no one else yeah. actually really that we knew at that time was, you know, took their music on the road the way we did. Right. You know, it's what you're talking about. We're talking like early nineties, you know, no, yeah. that was not the paradigm. The paradigm, which is coming from the eighties was to get a record deal, you know, and everybody was playing with everybody and anybody hoping that one of these bands was going to land that record deal that was going to get them the money needed to make a record and go, you know, and get that kind of support. And we took the opposite approach, which was to make our own record, put it out ourselves and not even think about making records, but think about playing for people. So we just got in the van and brought our gear and set up a couple of gigs. And what we believed was that if we can go out and find like 50 people in each of these college towns who wants to listen to us, then we can be playing all the time because it's really hard to play in one town, you know, seven nights a week mm. at that point. I mean, when I grew up where and where I grew up, it was different. There was, it was only live music, you know, there were the DJ thing hadn't happened. The one man show that it was, it was bands playing. <laughs> it was cover bands playing for dancing, playing at restaurants, playing at bars. It was all live music, you know, but you know, by the nineties, it wasn't like that anymore. You know, the DJ culture had really 
built up and a lot of music, you know, a lot of people were playing recorded music in restaurants, playing recorded music, you know, everywhere. So for us, it was like, well, if we can get like, you know, an audience that wants to hear something a little different than what they're used to, this weird instrumental kind of stuff, then we can keep working and we can make, we can make a circuit and play around. And that's, that was our approach. It was different. If, at the time it was different. And I think that's where the whole jam thing attracted to us. Cause that, that scene didn't even exist in the early nineties. I mean, there were a couple bands out there. We didn't know any of this music. We didn't know fish. We didn't know widespread panic. We didn't know about any of this, you know, there was, you know, or Colonel Bruce. We met Colonel Bruce because a promoter in Knoxville had him sit in with us on a gig as a special guest. And we were like, yeah. uh, who is this guy? You know, we had no idea. And, but oh, we trusted cool. this guy and, and having Colonel Bruce there actually brought a bunch of people to the show, yeah. you know, who knew him from the South, you know? And what happened was he, he was totally amazing and locked in with us in a way that was just unbelievable just because he, you know, he's such a, you know, he was, is yeah. such an incredible musical spirit and he really related to what we were doing. And it just started. So suddenly we started like tapping into these weird people and weird musicians around the country and and we just went out there and kept doing it and i mean i remember the first time fish we were playing at cb's gallery in new york and this guy comes up to me after the end of the show hey i really like the show you know i'm you know trey from fish you know and i was like hey nice to meet you and somebody comes out to me and says do you know who that was and i'm like no no he's a nice guy really nice guy he's there those guys are all amazing you know humans you know um and he said that's that they're from fish and i was like oh okay fish cool i mean i was a you know i was just i was we were into what we were into our little yeah. world you know like and um then he said yeah they just they just sold out madison square garden tonight and I was, in the past three nights and i was like whoa and then you know got to know those guys you know and we as we started touring their fans started coming to our shows and this whole thing kind of built for us around that you know oh, that's amazing wow thank you for sharing yeah. all of that it sounds it sounds also though like you were you kind of had a you had to have a sense that it seems like and maybe maybe not it seems like you had to have a sense that this was something special you were doing that takes quite a bit of and I understand that you love the music and you're a musician and that's what you do. And so you're going to get out there and play, but it, it seems like there's a lot of courage, both personally and creatively that is required to just get in that van with this thing that nobody's doing and get out and start playing for folks. Yeah. I mean, it's also, you know, it was sort of also just, you know, it felt good to be independent. It felt nice to be playing music and the, I guess with those guys, there was a certain chemistry, you know, that was undeniable, even for us. And, you know, we respected each other. And, you know, now, you know, 35 years later, we're, you know, we're like family. We, you know, we lived together for however many years in a, in a van and a camper and a bus and stuff. So it grew into like this, but it really came from this musical chemistry that was, like it was undeniable. I mean, I had been playing with Chris as a duo. You know, it's kind of how you know it happened. I'm, you know, we 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 sort of all met when Chris and I were living in Boston. Billy was still living in New York, but in terms of men, this is like you're asking about mentors. We there was nobody like. Well, the time we moved to New York City, we were just doing our thing. We were playing with whoever, getting gigs and trying to work as musicians. And, and none of us were like studying with anybody. But in Boston, I, you know, both Chris and I had, had studied with this great drummer, Bob Moses, who, you know, you know, is a master, visionary, composer, drummer, just amazing, amazing guy. And he just had this thing, which is also a very old school jazz thing, is he, you know, we were students at school and he came in there was teaching and I, you know, I used to take lessons with him. He, he was a drummer, but I was like, you know, I wanted to take lessons with the drummer because I wanted to know what, what does a great drummer want from a piano player? You know, I didn't only want to study with piano players. I would split my lessons with a piano player and then drummer. I studied with, I took a semester with Dave Holland, Smart. a great bass player, you know, just because I just wanted, you know, it's like, I wanted to know, you know, and also rhythm is, <laughs> it all yeah. starts with rhythm, you know? So 
And Bob used to just tear me apart in these lessons. We'd play duo and then he'd just, you know, shred me and tell me everything I was doing wrong and what I should be doing and what I'm, you know, and it was great, you know, and, but he would hire me to play when people would call him for a, a gig when Dewey Redmond called him or Lou Soloff or these guys called him, he'd get me in the rhythm section and give me the opportunity to play with these guys. Like, you know, that's like a very old school thing to bring you bring the, the young blood that you think might have some potential, even if they're not there yet to put them on these gigs and, and stretch them and give them that experience, you know? And um, so, yeah, Moses, you know, did that for my, for me, he did it for Chris Wood. And then Chris Wood and I did, you know, ended up on a tour with Moses over in Israel for a month, you know, playing all over the place. And that's kind of how I got close with Chris. And when I moved to New York, Chris and I, I had this duo gig at the village gate that I would do it, you know, a few, several times, it'd be a two week stint, you know, it was like a guaranteed two weeks of work, you know, and it was duo, piano duo, piano and bass. And before that, I was, you know, I had been working with this great bass player, Reggie Workman. And um, he was you know, another master, you know, who like just playing with him was like one of the, the greatest educational experiences of my life, like unbelievable. And this other great bass player from Seattle named Dan O'Brien, who I used to like to play with, who I knew from Boston. But then Chris and I started playing again. It was like, there was this chemistry with Chris. He had this young energy, this power, like we related musically in a certain way. And so we developed all this material as a duo. And then the village gate started adding drummers slowly, you know, because they were scared of the sound. They didn't want too much. It was supposed to be kind of quiet, but they started adding drummers and we played with some great drummers there, you know, me and Chris, but, you know, I was going to backtrack to you a little. I had met Billy in Boston through Moses. This is so Bob Moses is a very key figure in bringing us together, you know. Um, so Billy was the percussionist in Bob Moses's one of Bob Moses's ensembles and then played with Bob a lot. And again, he was another young blood that Bob really did a lot to help and support and, and, and sort of mentor. And um, so I met Billy and, you know, I was like, yeah, we should play together, blah, blah, blah. And uh, we ended up so I ended up going and playing duo with Billy at his place one time and I was like, well, we should try doing this. So we started playing at the, so, we, so Billy came down to the gate. And when we went to Billy's, Billy had this loft and a little recording studio, this whole setup. He had a, he had a very slick setup, you know, and we went to go rehearse, you know, with, I brought Chris there and we were going to, you know, just, you know, start working on some music and Billy starts playing a beat. Chris starts playing a bass line. I start playing and it was like instant music, like, not talking about anything, not saying, let's play this song. And I ended up going back and trans transcribing the recording and it became uncle Chubb on uh, notes from the underground. So the very first thing we played together, what became was just instantly a spontaneous composition. That is that song. It was like, so what I'm saying is there was a chemistry there and it was undeniable. So we just wanted to see if anybody gave a shit. You know, that was kind of it. We brought it on the road. Does, is, is, you know, does anybody? And I just kind of, I believe that, you know, I, I kind of believe there was, you know, some hunger for some improvised music out there, even if it was a small audience. Oh, that's so great. What yeah. all, you, you described Billy and Chris as like family and you have all these other relationships with folks, with Bob, for example, and... <clears throat> Um, and then all these collaborations over the years when working with so many talented people and having such uh, an illustrious career in music, what relate, what lessons about relationships have you learned over time in working with all these folks? Oh, I don't know. I'm still learning that. Mm. <laughs> I don't know. I guess that's a good question. I would have to, I would really have to think about that. I haven't really never thought about that. Um, Because you know, clearly think, people you know, seek I think you it out. Takes, it takes time to build a relationship with anybody, you know? And I think, I mean, I can say that like musically, just because somebody's great or a couple of musicians are great doesn't mean that when they get together, it's going to be good, you know? Right. I mean, it's about, it's, it's, about the, it's about a chemistry, you know? And I think you think about all these bands you love, right? There's, it's not like everybody in the band is the greatest musician in the world, but when they come together, the sum 
is greater than the parts, you know? Mm -hmm. And that to me is what any great band, the chemistry, something happens that none of them would have come up with to, on, them or on their own. And I think if we think about all the great bands we love, when one of the guys goes solo, it's very different. <laughs> Sometimes it's great, you know, but there's, you know, these, these great band, a great band is a great band. And it's, it's like, there's nothing you can, it's, it's hard to describe what it is. Other than, you know, we just, use, we just use the word chemistry. It's like an organism, you know, and each member is a part of this organism. And at changing any of those members changes it, you know, I think you can look at a lot of bands and see that, right? Yeah. <laughs> when they've lost members and they get into somebody else, it really, ch it changes it. Sometimes for the better and sometimes for the worse. Yeah, yeah exactly. Some ours, yeah, it's just different, you know, sometimes yeah. it becomes a whole new thing. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess that is, you know, an aspect of relationship that I've learned that like, it's like, you don't really know, you know, it's not about like, you may love somebody and it'd be fun to hang out, but maybe the, you know, the musical chemistry might not be there, but that's yeah. okay too. You know, it's, right. that's not the most important thing. Yeah. That's really interesting. I think that's a good um, kind of bridge to talking about the St. Disruption project. Um, and, you know, I, I was listening to you talk about um, the, the cluster headache that you had that kind of led to you meeting Jeff Firewalker Schmidt and all of this happening. Yeah, I guess that's, and, that is true. And as, as someone who, who does suffer from migraines um, and apparently what you were going through, it sounds like it was even worse than migraines, which can be completely debilitating. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm super curious about, you know, what led you into this project and, and also specifically, I haven't seen anything about like, or read anything about sort of like when you got into the jungle, like what that, that, that the, the relationship between you and Jeff, like what that was like and, and why it kind of works the way it does. Well, you know, I think that like, I mean, really like Jeff and I just, we just met there yeah. and it was just, I think it was just more of a surprise because it, was an odd place to find another gringo you know it was very yeah. very specific and hard to find and hard to know about and hard to get to spot you know it was it was this, this uh, uh corredero a healer down there named don cesario who's like a hundred years old or, or older at this point and was he was known for you know being an incredible healer and so i went i went there to work with him and these other uh you know, masters from this, from the, from the Sequoia tribe and to, to deal with this, you know, headache thing. And, um, and then Jeff was there for, for some other reason. And we just met and crossed paths and connected. And um, a few years later, we wanted to bring some of these guys to the United States, the Sequoias and, you know, do some workshops and, and, and they, you know, he actually, you know, they, you know, they did a few, you know, a few different things here. We wanted to bring him here. And Jeff, you know, has a PhD, has several PhDs and he wrote a really beautiful letter. So like, we just, you know, we just met. It was like, it, with no plan of ever doing anything together, you know, just, it was just, it was just an odd, you know, sort of starting point for this relationship that didn't really become anything but a distant mutual respect for a while. And, uh -huh. you know, until this project came up. Like, you well, know, he was very helpful for us. You know, he had communicated with me about doing something or he, he was trying to set me up with another, you know, musician and that never really happened. I didn't have the time and it just, it just wasn't meant to be, you know? Um, and he just, you know, we just kept in touch loosely and, um, and he, you know, from that time on pursued his own work, you know, with the, you know, as a curandero in Peru and, and, you know, has this whole life where he's doing that and helping a lot of people in that way, in addition to his life as a scientist. And so we just sort of had this parallel thing going. And when he presented, you know, some of the, you know, the first idea that started our collaboration with St. Disruption. So I think some, some context for the listener here that like you were dealing with these headaches and there wasn't really, as I understand it, answer. You weren't finding answers in kind of there traditional. There are, there are, there are no answers. It's, it's, I mean, it is, it is literally, it's listed as one of the most painful things on medical record. Jesus. I mean, I guess 
you know, on the level of like getting shot in the gut or something. It's like, it's, 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 I mean, I get to say that it is, I've had kidney stones and, and which is also very painful. Uh-huh. And that's like a mosquito bite compared to this headache. It's literally the, I, I, I have played gigs through all sorts of things, smash fingers, sick, you know, music was so great. This thing, this headache thing shut me down and it was really bad. And they don't really know what it is from a medical perspective. You know, they don't have like a, they, but you know, they have, and they don't really know how to treat it. Like, you know, morphine doesn't do anything. I mean, which is, you know, a very powerful painkiller. I got several shots of morphine did nothing. So I I think what I, what I learned is that a lot of people have sort of found either they just go through it and deal with it. And they just go dark for a week or 10 days when these things flare up or they kill themselves. That's it's also known as a suicide headache, or they find their own combination of crazy pain killing. I mean, people do everything from like shots of espresso and uh, my and this one particular migraine medicine to like, you know, tranquilizers. Like when you when you feel you'll basically do anything. So people have tried all sorts of stuff, and people have their own ways of dealing with them to help you know, reduce the pain a little bit. So it, so I, you know, I, you know, I just knew about the sequoias and their, you know, the healing work they were doing. And uh, so I just went for it. I was like, you know, I'm going to go all the way in and, and, and deal with this on another level, which is what they do. They deal with stuff beyond the physical, beyond, um, you know, they work with plants and they, and, you know, I was on a real specific diet and they do this other kind of work you know that's more in a spiritual type of thing and i've never i'm gonna knock on wood here i haven't had one since amazing i'm so glad you got some relief i'm, I'm so interested in that in trusting to to do that because i think there's a certain amount like especially as somebody for me my mortality is like i'm in therapy constantly for like being worried like having this conversation and shows the progress I've made in therapy. The fact that I can talk about this even because I'm so right. scared of things like that, you know, um, headaches or any ailments of any sort um, are terrifying to me. And so if I found myself in that position to trust in something more spiritual, I'm interested in like your relationship with spirituality and like going in, did you are you, would you consider yourself a spiritual person? Do you have a particular spiritual yeah. practice? I don't know. I do. I mean, I have, I, yeah, I have things I do. Um, I guess, <clears throat> I don't know. I mean, I, I just feel so pretentious to say I'm a spiritual person, you know, <laughs> I am always looking for the spirit, you know, in, in when there's music, whether it's anything, you know, I, I'm more interested in the spirit than spirituality, you know, and I think, that for me, I think it started when I first went to school, I had some major tendonitis problems and thought that maybe I was never going to play again. And I ended up healing that through, instead of going for this surgery, I ended up finding a body worker, working with diet and working with, you know, uh, deep tissue therapy and stretches and, and basically reteaching myself how to play, which led me to you know, checking out meditation, checking out a little Tai Chi, checking out these different things. So sorry. Let me, I'm oh, sorry. My right. dogs are oh. flipping out. All right, cool. Let me grab them real quick. Yeah, yeah. Hey guys, leave it. Nonsense conundrum. Hey. I thought this was going to be the first one that we made it through without the dogs interrupting. Yeah. Okay. So what, what do you want me to start? Um, so back up to just talking about like, um, Tai Chi meditation. Yeah. Um, okay. So I'm going to, I'll back a little bit. So I guess, you know, it started for me when I had, you know, another issue, which was my, I had tendonitis really badly, you know, carpal tunnel, whatever they call it carpal tunnel. Now they didn't call it back then. They, you know, because you know, it's pre-computers and I ended up having, um, I didn't, you know, I was, I thought maybe I wasn't going to be able to play and I had to fix that. And I, you know, explored sports medicine a little bit, just possible surgery that they were giving to piano players back then. And, but, you know, fortunately I saw that all of the poster children or the poster pianists for this particular surgery, none of them were playing, <laughs> they were teaching. So I was like, okay, that doesn't seem to be working. You know, none of them are concertizing. So I ended up 
fixing myself or get, or being fixed, you know, through some deep tissue work. You know, I found this amazing uh, body worker who was living in Massachusetts at that time. And with, through him, like re, you know, re-examining my diets, re-examining, you know, learning to stretch, learning how to, how to do things that to undo what I've done and to change, uh, you know, the, I guess the, you know, just the, the quality of my muscles and tendons so that I can play how I wanted to play, play what I was hearing. And, you know, and, and through relearning how to play, I, you know, I looked at a little bit into, you know, I checked out Tai Chi a little bit, uh, Alexander technique, all, you know, all, and, and, you know, a little Qigong at that time and meditation and, it, you know, all of that was, you know, like learning, but for me, it was always about the music, you know, that, that, you know, the, the playing piano was my martial art, you know, mm -hmm. but taking these principles, you know, of like not using what you don't need to use physically, like, you know, this, you know, really like, you know, refining your, your, your physical activity to that, which was necessary, you know, and I had to, so I basically had to relearn how to play, but, um, and I did, and I still, now I can, I can play 10 hours a day and you know <laughs> so wow. you know and i went from like really being screwed up and so i think that was like the first you know sort of bell that went off of like hey you know you can heal you can heal yourself you know if you find the right tools and that maybe like all this you know surgery and these atomic bombs of of western medicine aren't the only way and maybe like going through something like that when i can really relearn something myself is different than having somebody just cut me open and fix me Right. Am I gonna, you know, it's right. And that just became my approach to everything that happened to me from then till now in my life. You know, I've had other things too. I, you know, I had this, this long string of kidney stones, you know, that I eventually was able with some acupuncture and or Chinese herbs able to get under control. And I mean, everything, I mean, everything has come up in my life, even from like, you know, from slicing a piece of my finger off with a knife and, and using golden seal to heal it instead of going to the hospital and getting stitches. I mean, I've tried, it's just, this is just, this is just like, this is like, it's like one of my, something I like, you know, I like, I like, I'm fascinated by it, you know, and I'm willing to go for it and take the chance. And I've had success that way with everything. The hypertension was another one, you know, and the cluster headache is another one, you know? And so I just feel like there, you know, the, this earth has, all everything we need, you know, and plants are cohabitating with us and, and that there's a lot to get from them. And that, you know, this, this idea that we are the smartest and that we can figure out, Oh, it's this one thing in the plant. And then we're going to make a pill that has that one thing in it, as opposed to understanding there's a complexity to a plant that ha it has a lot of stuff in it. Maybe we haven't figured out yet. <laughs> you know, we're still figuring stuff out We're we, you know, we think we're pretty advanced, but you know, 50 years from now, we're going to look back at everything we're doing now and be like, oh my God, I can't believe we were doing that. Yeah, you know, yeah, like we yeah. do to 50 years from now. We haven't, we are not there, you know, especially if you think about, you know, a lot, a lot of illnesses that we have got, we're nowhere with, you know? And um, so I'm just fascinated by that. It's been my approach in my life. And that's what brought me down to Ecuador. And that's how I met Jeff. It was just like, you know, this, this sort of like, hey, I'm just going to, I, I want to get in there and get, you know, really heal this from the, deepest place and i'm always looking how to do that and what i found for me is that in general it's indigenous cultures that have that knowledge you know yeah and so that's where i look <laughs> you know to find yeah. it and i and and, and, I'm, and it's not that i'm not open hey look i will go to the hospital when i need to i will i rarely but occasionally we'll take an antibiotic you know i'm not it's like i'm not like it's not i'm you know i'm reasonable but i am pretty extreme in terms of like i'm gonna go try other stuff for i'm gonna try i'd rather work with plants and things like that to heal myself and to take care of things because i like it it's fun for me really you know it's like it's yeah. just and it's worked for me and i've seen it work over and over and maybe it's just placebo and because i believe in it but if that's how it works great yeah, if placebo the works, is, awesome. Then the mind's more powerful than anything. That would prove, you know. So, and I guess yeah, and that's what led me to Ecuador. That's how, you know. And I think Jeff is, you know, very has a very similar passion for that that kind of work. And then that work 
brings, you know, when you start dealing with these more traditional indigenous uh, cultures that work with in this way, they naturally imbue a spiritual or spirit component to all life. And then that becomes part of the equation for the healing, you know, and I'm interested in that too. So I checked that out. <laughs> you right. know? Well, there, there's such a synergistic approach to life in general. You're talking about there, this healing kind of, it sounds like a lot of your attitudes toward healing, toward healing and toward um, health in general uh, those are transferable kind of lessons and ideas to the music and to the creative process as well. This idea of like um, everything kind of being connected and uh, not trying to throw the, uh, what you say, the atom bomb of the pill at it. Right. But just sort of like taking it all in and letting it sort of all come together. Yeah. That's what I, and that's like absorb it and metabolize it and, you know, let it be what it is. That's, that's, yeah. I mean, that's kind of, I like, that approach to a lot yeah. of things, you know, and music is like that too, for me, you know, and I think, you know, it's also like, I'm, you know, I'm always been, I've always been attracted to roots music, you know, like, you know, even as a kid, you know, when I first got into jazz, I, you know, I was, I read somewhere that jazz was, you know, this had this African influence. So I started buying African records, you know, and checking out all this, you know, this, any, any Smithsonian or folkways record that I could find in the store in the, you know, seventies and eighties, I would just get it and listen to it. And I didn't really know what it was, but I loved it, you know, and I couldn't necessarily tell what was going on, but I would just listen over and over and over. And, and it's the same with, you know, you know, now it's like, I love, and I think this is where like, in a lot of ways, uh, you know, for me, I appreciate the whole Americana scene. It's like, I love <laughs> this, you know, whatever you call it, roots, you know, indigenous music for, uh, in general. I like the way it feels. I like what, where it's coming from. And, you know, I am not a guy from, uh, you know, from the hills, <laughs> You know, I'm a kid from Florida, you know, from South Florida. That's where I grew up. So I just, when I play, when I'm playing music, I'm trying, I just, I try to, you know, be as honest about who I am when I play with just by playing the music that I play, what comes to me, what I hear, you know, I try to absorb all this stuff and listen to it, but I, you know, I don't, I don't try to duplicate it. I'm not trying to be an a guy. I'm not trying to be an African dude, you know, yeah. or an old guy with a hat that plays jazz, you know? I can't because that's, you know, it's like being who I am because the musicians I love are who they are. And I try to just be who I am. I'm interested. Okay. So uh, I heard you say that, like, you're not from the Hills, but if, if I'm not mistaken that you are, and I know Louisville's not necessarily in the Hills in Kentucky in the way that we might think of like Western, um, I mean, Eastern Kentucky, but you know, are you, aren't you, were you born in, in Louisville and, and do you have, is that where your family's from? I was no, well, I was adopted. I was born in Louisville, but okay. I basically grew up in South. I, you know, I went to kindergarten okay. in South Florida, kindergarten through high school. Got it. Okay. But the thing is, like, I live in the I live in the woods right now. I've been living, you know, <laughs> I always end up in the woods. I've been in the woods since '03, you know, and and like even with MMW when we went on the road, we would go to the jungle of Hawaii and spend a month or two there recharging. I just like I am pulled to. And I, every year I make trips away from all electricity, somewhere deep, somewhere, whether it's the jungle in Peru or I do it here, I go sit on our land, you know, and I mean, I'm just attracted to getting away from everything It's part of what helps recharge me and gives me inspiration. That's great. Cause I, you know, I play, I'm in cities all the time and I love, I love it too. I love, you know, I love good restaurants. I love <laughs> good art, you know, uh -huh. and I love playing music for people. So but my life is, you know, when I'm on the road, I'm, I'm always in cities, I'm traveling. It's like, you know, all people and people made things. So when I'm home, I like to be, you know, more trees than people. That's my motto. I, I can relate to that. I, I live like just outside of Orlando, downtown Orlando. I live in Orlando, but uh, like just outside the downtown. But that's my vacation typically is I get out in the woods. I go backpacking. I, you know, I go hiking. I get out in the woods. And I love that story that I heard you tell about. Uh, when y'all were in Hawaii and uh, and you had a fan line, you had like a phone back in the day, you had like a phone fan line and that's how you got connected with Schofield. Yeah. Well, yeah. Cause there was a one, we had a, this is like, you know, obviously pre email or anything. Yeah. We had a 1-800 fan line <laughs> and we would go into town about maybe once a week to get supplies, you know, 
or whatever we needed. And I think Chris and I went and checked the, <laughs> went to the pay phone and checked the, uh, checked our answer machine. Yeah. And Schofield left a message on there. And we were so sure that it was somebody we knew this mess making a joke, you know, yeah. we, did, we were like, what? Cause hi, this is John Schofield. And I was like, wow, come on. It's like, gotta be, you know, it's gotta be Mike Rivard. That's who that is. <laughs> Calling, you know, leave it out, leave it a, you know, messing with us, but we called him back and it was Schofield. <laughs> That's great. For folks listening who don't know who John Schofield is, look him up. Um, it, it had to have been a pretty big moment for, for y'all at the time to have that happen. Uh, this oh, has been, been, man, John, this has been so great. I, you, you talked a little bit about, um, you know, uh, buying records as a young man, and then um, talked a little bit about your appreciation for the Americana scene now, and then um, art in general. What has what we always like to end on is what has you fired up right now? It could be a record that you were listening to. It could be a piece of art you saw, a TV show. Like, what art are you consuming that has you fired up? Hmm. Or you book? know, God, it's, it's always so much. Um, I mean. I have sort of, you know, what's interesting. I'll tell you, I know this is weird. I mean, for me, it's like a lot of what I end up listening to is I'm learning music for, I get called for all these gigs, you know, to play with people. And a lot of this, a lot of people, you know, a lot of music that people would assume I just know, I don't necessarily know because I haven't played it. I don't, it's it. I play with these people and they have like, so I end up like learning a lot, you know, I end up spending a lot of listening to a lot of stuff for the work I have coming up or learning music for what I have to come up. Cause I'm, you know, like it's like music is my life and it's like, and it's in my head all the time. And I, you know, if I'm hanging out, let's sit down at the piano and play and make some stuff up, you know, and just create, you know, so that's really what it's about for me. But, um, I would say lately, just stuff that has come my way recently that is really cool is something that I've been into for, you know, before, but I'm just revisiting is this Fong music from Gabon. It's uh, Asses African Music. It's, you know, F-A-N-G. It's, <laughs> it's unbelievable. And I've kind of been checking out Beethoven again. It's been a long time, you know, but I've sort of been getting, getting it. I'm actually kind of feeling a call. I want to maybe start actually playing some Beethoven piano sonatas again. Did something spark myself. that? Did, did, did like something happen? No, I always loved them, you know, and I don't know what it is. I just, I just, um, oh, you know, yeah. Actually, somebody sent me a YouTube of somebody playing a Beethoven piano sonata. So check this out. And um, it was... I was like, wow, really amazing. So I just kind of like dove back in and started checking out some older recordings and I'm pulling out my uh, old music book. <laughs> you know, and I just think that, that that's something else that kind of me. And um, something that I just discovered when we were visiting my wife's, not discovered, but like got a better understanding of is the artist Andrew Wyeth. Um, who I, you know, I just know from one pain, the one painting that's like kind of famous that I've seen, you know, in the, in, you know, in the, in the modern art museum, but um, there's a, there's a museum completely dedicated to him and his whole family, all his whole family, they were all artists. And that was actually really inspiring. You know, also I hadn't been to a museum in three years or two years with this pandemic. So right, it's kind right. of the first museum I've been in, in a long time. And I didn't, you know, it was great to, I didn't know. I didn't know the depth of his work and, you know, his family, his, all his brothers and sisters and his father, you know, it was, it was kind of cool just to get a little, and I still don't know much other than what I saw in this museum and what I looked up a little after that, but that's like a new discovery that is really cool too. That's super old, fun. Old, this is all old stuff that I'm just sort of reinvigorated by, you know? Yeah, that's exciting. I mean, so much, it's, there's so much there, you know, I, that a lot of times I will, even though I'm in this world a lot, I'm talking to musicians all the time. Somebody will bring up someone that it's assumed I would know, you know, and, and I just have no idea who this person is. And so they end up spending a lot of time listening to that. And it's, it's exciting. It's exciting to, to check out that old stuff and, and to rediscover things. Yeah. I mean, you know, for me, it's like, you know, it was all, it was always like, you know, all you know, in terms like you know we were just talking about the Americanos, all the like, all those old Lomax recordings and all the old recordings. I love to go back and hear what people were doing before they had recordings to listen to. <laughs> like music from that from you know music that's less self aware. 
in that way of, of having the mirror of a recording to reflect upon is really interesting to me. You know, music is made for its own sake, you know, cause that's like really what I, what I strive for. So I'm really, I really love listening to that kind of stuff and absorbing it and checking it out. I mean, there's that, that um, website radio, radio, you know, where you can go to any country and like pick a, pick a decade and it'll play music from that decade. Oh, wow. It's really cool. And, you know, I like to go back to the thirties and forties and stuff and this year music from different, you know, parts of the world. And just, you know, when, when, when it wasn't, wasn't as easy, I mean, we forget, we have no freaking idea how it wasn't that long ago that, you know, musician was very regional. Music was very regional and the musicians right. were very regional. And like, you know, the whole thing about like, you know, the difference between new Orleans and Chicago and St. Louis were drastic The players, you know, there really was a thing, you know, and, um, and they didn't really get to hear each other that much unless somebody happened to be passing through, you know? Yeah. So this idea of influences, it's like so different now because now you can just pop on YouTube and hear whatever, you know, it's a really different, it's a different thing. So I really, I, I enjoy checking stuff out from then just to, because I really feel like that's one of the things that like most, most important thing that a lot of musicians don't, I mean, why are they doing it? You know, you, you know what is the original, you gotta really tap into the, your original, reason for doing for making music for playing music for you know what is that you know what is the original purpose for you for it in general and to always keep connected to that when you're making music you know what a fascinating duality to consider the idea that like th there's this huge advantage almost to not having that mirror as you spoke of because you're totally free and you're just making it for a pure purpose. Whereas it, there's at the same time, you don't have, we talked about mentors earlier. You don't have uh, people to look up to or people to learn from in the same way as you do now, where you can have people at your fingertips, anybody that you could watch, like you said on YouTube or anywhere else and learn how they do their thing and kind of mind them, my strangers, <laughs> mind, you know, experts now. And so, you know, well, there's kind of yeah. advantages and disadvantages, I feel like. Yeah. You know, you know, the whole thing of like, you know, like who are your influences? Like, you know, this is especially a thing that journalists and they talk about, they listen to something and talk about what it's influenced by. And it's like, if you haven't sat in a room with somebody and played music with them, you're not influenced by them. If you listen to somebody's record, you, you cannot be influenced by them. There's no transfers of energy. There's no nothing. And this whole thing, oh, I'm influenced by John Coltrane. Bullshit. You're not influenced by John Coltrane. You listen to some Coltrane records and you're copying him. That's not influenced. And influence is like, is a real, you know, connection, a real, and I think it's kind of interesting. And I mean, whatever people are making great music now you know but i'm just saying like the, the, this whole like looking at it and the way we talk about it and the way we try to put it in a box and the way we try to understand it is just as a musician who has done it their whole life it's just so ridiculous to me what people say i, I don't even i don't I'm, i don't say this often i'm saying it now it's ridiculous and it drives me crazy and it's so idiotic and egotistical for people to talk about music if they don't make music in a way where they're like criticizing somebody for what they're doing because of their influences that aren't even really their influences. And it's just like, drives me crazy. But you know, what you were just saying is true because it, 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 it really makes it hard to make music for the right reasons when you're like, just when you want the success and you're worried about your social media and you're worried about mm. somebody showing up at your gig. And right now the pressure on the musician, it used to be like, Hey, you, you, you write your music, you play your music, you practice, you get good. And then, you know, you have a promoter who, who promotes your show and there's, and the, the middleman is actually doing something. Now, do you know what a musician has to do? They have to write the music. They have to pay for the recording because nobody's paying for records anymore. Then they have to promote their own show on social media because the promoters don't have to do anything anymore. Yeah. I mean, and then the musician gets cut out of, you know, Spotify and all the music, musician gets cut out of the financial gain from their music. Like they, it's kind of crazy. I guess that shows you how much we, love playing music we'll just well you can so we're like dogs you can beat us to death and we'll come right back with our tails wagging and play music for you you know and um but i think it's hard it's like you know the, one of my favorite musicians is this guitar player to cg munoz who i've had the you know honor of playing with a lot or, or you know not enough but some and he's got he, he also writes a lot of books and 
he has a couple of uh, CDs that have his, you know, where he's speaking on it. And one of the things he talks about is like how the musicians have failed the planet <laughs> right now. Most musicians have failed, you know, have failed humanity and failed the planet. And I think it, it's kind of true in some ways. I don't think it's hundred percent true because I think music is just great, but in, in a way it's like this sort of self-feeding mirror of social media and pro self-promotion and you know, making music in order to get likes and, you know, like when, you know, how it, when it's like, what defines whether you're going to get sponsored by a company isn't whether you're great at what you do is whether you have enough hits on your YouTube channel. Uh -huh. It's like, I don't know how that's feeding the music. Sorry, I'm getting dark here, <laughs> but I don't know. No, how it's that's, okay. That's I don't know how that's feeding good music, man. You know, Cause, yeah. Uh, cause we talk about this a little bit on the show and like, and we talk a little bit of, uh, you know, I try not to go too far cause I don't want to get depressed, but we talk a little bit about this on the show, but I hadn't really, you're coming at it from a little bit of a different angle here that, that what you said that Munoz said about like failing the planet is his argument that, by buying into or by playing along with, I, I guess, because I feel like most of the time it's not that musicians don't want to do the likes thing. It's just that they feel like they have to because there's no money coming in to make records. They do to survive. If you want to survive from your music, you got to do all that stuff. Yeah. And I feel lucky that we were able to survive for a while just from playing gigs. Right. You know, that was really cool for a little bit. Those days are over, <laughs> you know, right. but uh, but yeah. No, I think it's just, it's just more of a full, you know, just a way of looking at it. It's, it's also with serious and, and a little bit of humor too, that I think, you know, that, Hey, you know, it's like, it, because it, music has a lot of power. Music can do great things, you know? And if, and it's more about like, if you're not playing from your heart, then you're failing, not, not you're failing, but you're failing <laughs> the service you could be providing. Yeah. John, this has been amazing. Like, thank you. I've, I've been a fan yeah. for a long time. It's just an honor thank to even you. meet you, much less to yeah. Well, thank you so much to, to talk with you. So, thank you so much, and have a have a wonderful night. And um, yeah, you too, man. Thank you. We appreciate it. All right, good. Yeah. All right. I'll see you in person sometime. I hope so. All right. Thanks. John Badesky, y'all. Thank you so much, John. Thank all of you for listening. SaintDisruption.com for all things Saint Disruption. Medesky, Martin, and Wood.com for all things Medesky, Martin, and Wood. MarinadePodcast.com for all things The Marinade, including written pieces, photography, our online store, and more. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and we're on TikTok now, everybody. Trying to figure out how to use that app and having fun doing so. Subscribe and give us a five-star rating on your podcast app. Tell a friend about the show. These are all free ways to support the marinade. If you really like what we're doing, please consider joining our Patreon community, where for just a few bucks a month, you can gain access to Patreon-exclusive content, like our show Jason's Journey, where I talk about the moments that shape my creative life and provide a window into the process of making the marinade. I also post what I'm getting down on, which is an examination of the art that is inspiring me at the moment. That's over on Patreon as well. Sometimes we get together for Patreon happy hours. Um, I have a new thing that I'm doing called The Process, where I'm talking about the process of preparing for an interview as I'm going through it. Um, and right now, we got the great John Doe on deck this coming Thursday. I'm going to get a chance to talk with John Doe, he of the legendary band X. And um, it's pushing me in, into interesting directions. And so I'm talking about that and sort of how... Um, especially in talking about uh, punk music, I'm kind of like out of my depth a little bit, which is sort of fun. I'm, I'm learning. And um, so I'm, I'm expressing that over on Patreon as well. If you want to support the, f the show financially, but you don't want to commit to um, any kind of monthly subscription, you can Venmo or PayPal us at The Marinade. 
All the money goes right back into making the show. Uh, right now, that means saving up to cover some festivals and upgrading some equipment. I really appreciate every little bit, y'all. If, um, if you can't swing it or if you're not in a position to do so, I totally get that. This is a free show and above everything, I'm just grateful for you listening and supporting this thing. All right, y'all, it's time for our review under two, the segment of the show where I review some work of art that has me fired up and try to do so in under two minutes. The review under two for this episode is the forthcoming album from Isaac Opatz called Extra Medium. Extra Medium is a camp out in Glacier National Park with your quirky smart cousin. He's a little country, but devoid of most stereotypes. He can ride a horse, but also quote Camus. He loves the troops and hates the wars. This is a country record, replete with many familiar themes like loves gained and lost, but Opatz is not content to rehash the same sounds and ideas in the same ways. Take the rollicking Chinook wind as an example. The song starts with a simple, funky guitar riff and then gets right into the tale of an ex-lover inviting the narrator to a date on Valentine's Day. The story's heavy, but the presence of horns and a chugging beat make the events go down easy. And that's pretty much how what you're going to expect from Extra Medium as a whole. Opatz is a wanderer in the process of settling down, or is he? The sounds on this record suggest that there will certainly be no creative settling. Extra Medium advances what Opatz calls, quote, dirt wave, a sound full of imagery created by the combination of a keen eye and a fearless sense of bringing melody to life. It's a collection of songs that requires a close listen. All right, y'all, that is my review under two for Extra Medium by Isaac Opatz. Isaac was a guest on the show coming up. Uh, we're going to release that episode uh, this week. So I'm bringing two at you this week. Um, very excited for you to hear that conversation. Really interesting guy. What an amazing run of shows we've had lately. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time, go out and create something. Cheers, y'all. <laughs>